0: It amazes me yet how a small congregation like ours can impact so many places. And uh, I guess I'm feeling particularly this morning as um, so many of my immediate family are way away. I got the text this morning at 8.15. Ben said I've landed in Togo, Africa. will be here all week. And uh, Tim let us know last night that he had arrived in California. And, of course, Ray is in Denmark. And... Rebecca's in Ohio and um, and there are others from this congregation that are traveling or are worshiping God today or some are involved in ministry in different places and um, I rejoice in that I rejoice in that not just as as a father for my own children but for this congregation to be able to nurture and and produce young people that have a passion to go serve and, and there are others in this congregation that that have gone and and are involved in things. And and I just rejoice in that. If we can be that type of congregation, uh, that is honoring to God and to his calling for the church. And so I rejoice in that this morning. Uh, It is good this morning to hear a baby in the audience. That just warmed my heart this morning. It's been a while since we've heard a baby. I hope they won't run that little one out of here. Uh, I, I like to hear babies. Open your Bible this morning to 1 Thessalonians. I have mentioned different times that I'm hoping that 2023 can be the best year for each of us in our spiritual walk with the Lord. And, and if it is that, as a congregation, this will be a, a best year for us the congregation. And so a lot of the things that we've been looking at and I've been challenging you with, and I've been challenged as I've prepared these messages, is to find truth in Scripture that we are all accountable to no matter where we are in the world. And we talked this morning about different places people are, and you may find yourself in your lifetime, you may end up far away from Cluster Springs, Virginia, but God's Word endures. And uh, as a follower of Christ, you are called to respond to it no matter where you are. And so I'm hoping that what we've been looking at, for some of you it may be review. Uh, Maybe it's just a good reminder. For others of you, maybe you have never heard of that, never seen that in Scripture before. But I'm hoping God's Word will, will be a challenge to us. Remember I said there are two things that are keys to our spiritual growth this year. One is, what is our attitude toward the Word? Will we open our hearts and receive truth? And the second is, what is our attitude toward the lordship of Christ? Can we submit and say yes to him? Or are there areas of our life that we say, but this I want to decide. And then I'll ask God to bless it. Uh, so those are, so. this morning, um, we're going to be looking at this last chapter of the book of 1 Thessalonians. Now the book of Thessalonians, uh, it's pretty commonly accepted, was probably the second book of the New Testament to be written. Um, most scholars say the book of James was the first. Maybe you thought Matthew was the first because it's first, but no, Matthew is not first. Nor was Genesis the first book to be written in the Old Testament. Um, but Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians was, was pretty well accepted to be certainly among the first and perhaps the second book. And so Paul, in writing to the church at Thessalonians, this, this is kind of new. To have a letter to go to churches, and he he wraps up the last, the 27th verse of chapter 5. He says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. You see that? See, this is one of the first letters that went out, and Paul is saying, I'm writing this to you at Thessalon- Thessalonica, but but this must be shared with all the brethren everywhere. Uh, guess where that includes? That includes us this morning. That includes us this morning. So this morning I want us to, it's going to be more of a congregational message, but also for us individually. The title I've chosen is Responsibilities in the Family of God. Responsibilities in the Family of God. Now there are a lot of metaphors for the church today, and in contemporary society some of them are pretty faulty. Some people kind of view church like a filling station. You know, you go Sunday morning, you fill up, and you know you're good good for the week. Others gather at a church service kind of like you go to a theater. You know, you go to watch and to be entertained. Um, some find themselves going to church on Sunday like they would go to a drugstore. They've got they're struggling with some things and just hoping to get some relief. For some, it's like going to a big box store. Some of the big megachurches have something for everybody in all these different programs. It's like going to Costco or Walmart. And for some, it's like a tourist destination. You know, you're just passing through. Um, just, just want to see what's going on. Well, all those are faulty, obviously, but the Bible has a variety of metaphors. And when you think of the family of God, perhaps some of those metaphors come to mind. You know, the scripture says we are a holy nation, right? Another place it says we are a priesthood. Uh, it speaks of the church being the bride of Christ, right? As being a body with different members. Well, in this last chapter of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, Paul describes the church as a family, as a family. And all of us can identify with that. Now, when I mention family and you think of your family, you may have real warm, cozy thoughts this morning. Or maybe that's painful. Maybe that's painful this morning. So I'm I'm aware of that. I'm, I'm sensitive to that. But I want you, no matter what your initial reaction is to considering the church as family to to see what the scripture intends. Five times in the latter part of this chapter, Paul refers to believers as brothers or brothers and sisters, depending on the version you're looking at. Um, the church is is... Is like a, like a family in many ways. You have newborn believers, like we have a young. Like we have, you have toddlers in the faith that are, that are trying, they're wobbling on in their spiritual walk. They're just learning how to follow Christ. Um, we have those who are growing like teenagers in their faith. We have those who are maturing uh, and, and accepting different roles and going through transition of their roles within the church. But all of us are called to love one another and to respond to the needs of one another. Now, as I mentioned, there are five times Paul uses family language. And that's not by accident. It's not by accident that Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is using this type of language. You see, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and if you've not done that, you can be a part of this family by deciding to do that. When we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that is a vertical vertical interaction, right? That's a vertical, a decision that puts us right with God. But it also simultaneously becomes a horizontal relationship. We enter a new horizontal relationship with other people with other believers, and it's unlike any community that the human race knows. It knows no barriers. Racial, ethnic, cultural, gender, age, all those barriers are not there. It's unlike any other relationship. We become part of the family of God known as the church. Now, we're aware that in our biological families, there are certain responsibilities that, that, that we have. Uh, for some of us, maybe it's, it's for a spouse. Maybe it's for children. Maybe it's to siblings. Maybe it's to parents. And those responsibilities can, can change as we go through. But there are obligations that we have. And in the spiritual family, there are responsibilities that are obligations as well. And that is what I'm calling all of us this morning to once again look at. Because it is so easy to be in the family and just be there to be taken care of. But not really embracing accepting the responsibilities and obligations. So Paul is placing those before us this morning in this passage of Scripture. There are obligations within the family of God and most clearly within the body of believers. So I want to turn your attention this morning. You know, I, we can look at this whole chapter, but I want to narrow it down. You know, sometimes I think we can come to people that was in a Sunday school class or even as parents and certainly as ministers, and we can we can put out so much, and it's like, wow, where do I even start? You know, it's overwhelm people. So I, I want to try not to do that this morning and try to, look, to narrow the focus a bit so I want us to look specifically at a paragraph starting in verse 12, 1 Thessalonians verse 12, and I'm just going to go through verse 18. Listen this morning, this is what the Word of God says. You see, it doesn't matter this morning so much what I say, and I don't care if you remember what I say or not, but I'm hoping this morning, if you have access, was with your phone or a translation or the back of the hymn, wherever you can find this passage of Scripture, or if you don't have and you just want to listen, I beg of you this morning, this is God's Word. Now, some ministers have when, when to make that distinction with people. When they get ready to read God's Word, to have everybody stand, okay? And that's the way to show honor, I guess. I don't know I'm going to do that this morning, but I think it, it helps put the distinction between This is what God says. Now, I'm going to do my best to explain it to you. But but there's a distinction. So this morning as I read this, I want that distinction to be clear. So I beg you this morning, open your heart and your mind and listen to what God's Word says. Begin at verse 12. We beseech you, brethren... "...to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that none render evil for evil unto any man." But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. There are three primary areas of obligation that I want us to look at this morning. And and these are obligations that are placed on us when we become part of the family of God. The first of those we'll find in verses 12 and 13. Verse 12 and 13 speak of our responsibility, our obligation toward those who are in leadership roles. Encourage those in leadership roles. Now, we live in a culture today that celebrates the individual. A culture that is resistant to anybody being accountable to anyone. And because of our fallen human nature, anarchy and independence runs deep in our veins with all of us. It's something we have to deal with. But God calls us into a relationship with other believers, the church, and he has ordained Christ to be the head of the church. And under Christ, there are positions of leadership, responsibility that people have. Now, sometimes it's difficult for us to separate the person from the role. Person from the role. You children here today, it's one thing when someone older than you gives you direction, corrects you, commands you to do something, and you might say, well, but when it's your parent, what's different about that? It's the role, right? It's the parent. So sometimes we may find difficulty in, in, in wanting to, how we respect, respond to the person. But first of all, we are called to respect that role. Okay? Does that make sense? When a policeman stops you, and some police can be very rude, and they have real problems, but you need to respond to them out of respect. Why? Why? Because of who the person is, primarily because of the role that they have. And they help you with that, don't they? How do they walk up to your car? With a hat on? With a uniform on? Right? They don't walk up in blue jeans and tennis shoes and, you know, baseball cap on backwards and say, Hey, how you doing? You No. They, they help you. That is by design. I was in court on Tuesday. There was one person in that courtroom that we had to have ultimate respect for. How did he look different in that courtroom? He had a black robe on. There's no question who the judge was. Okay? Now, I don't know that individual out of the courtroom. I, I don't know if he's a good guy, bad guy, nice guy. But let me tell you, in that courtroom you had respect for that position, okay? So I think that's something we have to remember even within the church because listen, all of us are broken and no matter who's in leadership in positions in this congregation, whether they're your Sunday school teacher, whether they're head of the trustees, whether they're the sound man, whether they're the minister, we all have weaknesses. We all are going to fail sometimes, okay? But first of all, our respect and honor needs to be the role that they have. The role that they have. And there are ways that we can help them and encourage them. Well, in this congregation as well as every other congregation, we need men and women who are willing to accept positions of leadership. that will minister and provide direction. You see, without leadership, there's confusion. Imagine if everybody this morning was going to pick out the songs we are going to sing. <laughs> you know, or everybody's back there trying to get the sound just right or getting the temperature just right. Or, 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 There's confusion when there is not leadership. We need leaders to provide spiritual direction, to encourage obedience to God's Word, to motivate believers uh, to develop an eternal perspective. And that's what I, one of the things I see my role in this congregation is we come together weekly in the midst of all the stuff that you all and I are dealing with to once again every Sunday morning, those of us that have this role in the congregation, to once again reorient ourselves to an eternal perspective and to obedience to God's word. Because God's word is always relevant every week into what we are facing. And I don't know what you're going to face this next week. I really don't. But I can assure you some of us are going to face some unexpected things. And my hope is that by being here this morning or being somewhere with a group of believers, that your focus in worship has helped you once again reaffirm an eternal perspective and your commitment to the principles of God's word And those will be tools that the Spirit of God will use this week to empower you, to give you courage, to give you direction, to give you strength, to help you overcome temptation. That's the role of the church. Well, notice in these two verses, there are three ways that we are to uh, respond to those who are in leadership over. First of all, to know them which labor among you. This knowing you is not knowing their names. Not knowing that the leadership of this congregation, well, it's Dave and it's Fred and it's Tim. It's not the names. But to know that Dave has that responsibility, Fred has that responsibility, Tim has that responsibility. To know the role is more important than to know the names. You see, that's how we are to recognize their leadership roles and to welcome those distinctions. And that doesn't mean you put us up on a platform That doesn't mean that you salute us when we go by, but there's an attitude of accepting the role that we have that is so critical. Why? Why? Because we didn't choose this. God has chosen this. And one day, we will give an account for the role that we've had in this congregation for this time. So Paul says, do this, do this so that their work may be a joy and not a burden. As Hebrews says, have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority so that their work will not be a burden. Because if their work is a burden, you suffer. Well, the second thing is we are to esteem them or hold them in high regard that, that word there in the original Greek language is highest, yet we need to value individuals, not that they're perfect, not that we think they're they they don't have faults, but we value their service their by our words and our actions. Now, you know I was a young man growing up, I know what it's like to under authority under what my parents and what a teacher or what a minister is saying to me. I know what that struggle can be like. But Scripture calls us by our words and our actions to esteem them highly. And the third way is we are to love them. And that love is the word agape. That's the kind of love that's an act of our will, not our emotion. Too often we want to respond to those in authority over us by our emotions. I like him. He's a cool guy. Well, great. I'm glad he's a cool guy. But even if he's not a cool guy, if he's an authority of you, you need to love him. You need to show him love. You see, that love encourages those who are in leadership to lead the way they should and supports them as they leave. So we're to value those in leadership roles. But... Notice, that relationship is not a one-way street. It's not just toward the leaders. There's responsibility of leaders have, and verse 12 mentions some of those. It says they labor. If you are a Sunday school teacher, if you are a song leader, if you are the sound man, if you are a trustee, if you are a minister in a congregation, you are to put forth effort. It's not like, well, I don't have to do anything. No, you got more to do. We're to be diligent. We're to seek excellence. We're laboring on behalf of the body. So it becomes then, when when I'm preparing something for our congregation, I just say, well, I don't know if I really think that's important. I don't know if that's really necessary. It's not about what's necessary for me. It's what is it necessary for you all. That's what I've got to give my attention to. Does that make sense? And so if you have responsibility in a congregation, whatever level it is, you must always be asking yourself that. What does the body need from me in this role? Not, I said, well, that's old hat. We don't, I don't to do with that. I don't feel like that today. It's not about how I feel today. I am called to minister to you. And so no matter what area of responsibility you have in a congregation, you have an obligation To the congregation. The Greek word Paul used normally refers to manual labor, but he uses it here also when he talks about teaching and preaching and various other ministry roles. Paul calls leaders to toil, to strive, to struggle for truth and for the advancement of the kingdom. So when you accept a leadership role in a congregation, whatever it is, apply yourself to it, pursue excellence, be diligent. Well, the second thing leaders do, they to provide oversight or care for others in the Lord. You see, leadership in a church is different than what you see in the marketplace. In the marketplace, if you're a supervisor of a business or manager, it's just for getting stuff done, that shift, right? It's just getting the work done. It ain't about the workers so much. Now, a good manager cares about the workers, but it's primarily just that day, that hours. It's not that way when you're in leadership in a church. You care about people 24-7. It's not just about what happens here on Sunday morning between 10 and 12. That's why I say as a minister, Sunday is not a day off. (laughs) It's just not. And you never really know what's happening. Uh, but, But that's what you're called to, and that's what you give yourself to. Last Sunday, I had a message in the morning in the afternoon, I had a two hour counseling session with a couple, and then that evening, I had an anointing service to lead. By the end of the day, I was kind of washed out. But that's what you're called to. And it's not just when you're a minister, sometimes, as parents, it happens that way, right? Well, biblical leadership in a church is different from in the marketplace because it is to be characterized by humility, not pride. It's not we don't wear stripes on our I'm a sergeant or I'm a colonel. We don't wear stripes, we don't wear stars, we don't wear crowns. By servanthood, not power, and by gentleness, not aggression. Not by threats. Not by you got to follow me. Well, the third thing, we are called to admonish members of the body. The Greek word, nithetic, there refers to a type of counseling. It means that if you're in leadership, you can't just overlook stuff. Now, if you're a parent this morning, let's be honest. There are some times we see something going on, and it's just easier to look the other way than deal with it, Right? I I, I didn't see that. I'm just too tired. And it can happen when you're a school teacher. It can happen when you're a Sunday school teacher. It can happen anything, and certainly as a minister. But we are called not to look the other way. We are called to warn, to reprove, and even at times to discipline those that engage in sinful behavior. Now, that responsibility is not to be exercised like a dictator. We're not the judge and executioner. It's not like one someone with supreme authority or, or someone who abuses their power. When leaders give respect to those they're leading, it makes it much easier to work with people when there's a problem. So, we have responsibility this morning toward leaders. There's another responsibility that all of us have, and that is to care for other family members. Now, somehow we get this idea sometimes that when we're in a church, and I've been there, I've been in your pew where you are, that, that I'm just here to take care of me. <laughs> if there's a problem, that's what the minister's for. If there's a need, that's what the deacon deals with that. You know, if there's a problem, with it, that, it's very easy for us to do that. Scripture does not give us that. Notice, this is written, this was to be read to the members of the church at Thessalonica and then to be shared with believers everywhere. Notice verses 14 to 15. Notice these instructions that are given. First of all, there are about five or six of them, and I'll try to move through them pretty quickly. The first says, (laughs) we are to warn those that are unruly. Now, that unruly, I looked at some other translations and and it's not, it, it refers more to those that are idle, those, those that are not involved, those that don't do anything. And one of the problems that Paul alludes to earlier in this book is, in fact, you look back at the earlier part of this chapter, there were believers who thought Jesus was soon coming, okay? I mentioned Mother's Day here, what it must have been like for Eve when she had Cain. What did she think Cain was going to do? He was going to... Stomp the head of the serpent. Because God had told her that your offspring will stomp the head of the serpent. Well, the believers, the early church had been told what was going to happen. Jesus will return just like he left. And they thought it was, I mean, if Jesus returned, why build a church? Why are y'all getting so deucy? I mean, we're getting ready to go. I don't know what all the reasons are, and certainly those are not all the reasons today, but some people just don't want to do anything. There are individuals that expect the body to take care of them. And we as family members, you know how you deal with that in your family? Right? We are to encourage. We're to speak truth in love. Flagrant wrong behavior has to be acknowledged, of course. But it should happen like brother to brother friend to friend. Remember, the mission of the church is to make disciples. And one key aspect of disciple making is accountability. It's accountability. Well, second, we're to comfort the feeble-minded, or the faint-hearted, the disheartened. In every congregation at various times, there are people that are suffering. Maybe it's physically, maybe it's financially. Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe they're struggling with work. And it's so easy for us to say, have a good day. But we are called to be family. We're called to nurture relationships. So, and obviously, not every, you're not going to have the same relationship with everybody. But we need, to have, we need to intend to build relationship in our congregation so we know what's going on. So people are free to share with us when they're suffering. And we need to care. You know, that, that's people when they feel vulnerable need to find in a family of God it's safe to share that. And a minister cannot do that. He can help, but that happens in the pew. That happens with those that you worship with. The third thing he says is to support those that are weak. And that's not talking about weak when you're old and your legs have gone out. That's talking about when your faith is weak. As someone in your faith, when you're struggling spiritually, and it conveys the picture of, of getting a hold of someone and holding on to them as they walk until they can walk by themselves. You know what it's like? When someone just can't hardly go. You come alongside and you help them. You support them. When a member of this congregation is struggling spiritually, it's so critical that they know they're not alone in their struggle. Maybe they've really failed. Or maybe they're really struggling with something. They need to know they're not walking alone. And that's not something the minister can do by himself. That happens brother to brother, sister to sister. The fourth one he says, be patient toward all. Now, sometimes we miss what patient. Patient doesn't mean you say, well, I, uh, I, just let it go. It'll probably work itself out. That's not what patience means. Patient means slow to anger. It's restraint when you feel opposition. It's resta- restraint to irritation. There are times when we are probably going to irritate one another. How do we respond then? The natural response is to do this. That's the natural response. But that's not what we're called to do in the body of Christ. Listen, churches consist of people, and relationships at times get messy. And we are called to show restraint and patience to one another in times of irritation. Well, the fifth one is, do not render evil for evil. Mm -hmm. Don't pay back wrong for wrong. Don't respond with equivalent behavior. He did this, so I did this. She didn't talk to me, so I'm not going to talk to her. They didn't do this, so I'm not going to do this. And and don't get even. And and, hey, let's face it. That can be a particular challenge in a marriage. When we feel we've been wronged or hurt, we may be tempted to even the score. You know? Just have this little mental checklist. Well, the last one is strive to follow good action. Follow that which is good. You know, there are two circles of relationship we need to be. We need to be concerned about those who were, that, were, that are part of the family of God with us and those who are not yet part of the family of God. There's a pattern in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that calls his followers to do the unexpected. He doesn't say, when your friend is hungry, feed him. That's the expected. What does he say? When your enemy is hungry, feed him. When your enemy is thirsty, give him drink. You see, we are called to initiate. You don't wait till your enemy comes to you on his hands and knees begging for bread. You see that he's hungry and you feed him. We are called to initiate. And that's one of the biggest challenges for the body of Christ. We don't want to initiate. It's easier to do nothing. Act like I don't see it. And what does that communicate? That communicates, I don't care. We do the unexpected even when it's inconvenient and uncomfortable. You see, some people it's just, it's, it's real convenient, it's comfortable. But I, that person, I, I, that's not, I don't know. No, we are called because we're part of the family. You see, family takes care of what? Family. That's an obligation we have, brothers and sisters. We are genuinely concerned for one another because we love one another. Well, the third area of responsibility we find in in the next uh, verses sixteen through eighteen, and that is, we practice pursuing. We practice pursuing victory over circumstances. Every one of us face challenging circumstances. And perhaps you've heard it said before. Some say, well, oh, how are you doing today? And some of people say, well, pretty good under the circumstances. And one brother said to his fellow brother, he said, what are you doing under there? Okay. We all have circumstances, but we choose how we respond to circumstances. Am I correct? Someone said when life gives you lemons, you do what? Make lemonade. Okay. All that we choose, and how do we do that? Very quickly, reminder, you've seen this before, you've heard this, but I want to challenge you this morning. We need to practice this and encourage this among ourselves because we get together and we share during our sharing time, but a lot more sharing happens out here on that carpet after church and out in the parking lot and during the week. And we share our hurts and our frustrations. Okay, and th- this is what we need to practice and encourage one another. We find three direct commands. The first one's in verse sixteen: rejoice evermore, always. Now, Paul is not referring here to a state of constant euphoria. And there are some people that seem like they just never their feet never touch the ground. You know, you wonder <laughs> are they are they are they all wrapped together? You know, they seem to. No, that's not what he's talking about. But the Holy Spirit desires to produce in each of us a sense of inner peace, satisfaction, fulfillment, and contentment in the body of Christ. Why? Because as James writes, we are able to consider it pure joy when we experience difficult things. Why? Because it's pleasant? Because it's comfortable? Because it's enjoyable? No. Because we know that God uses those experiences to transform our lives. You know, there are a few things that are as remarkable in the New Testament as this constant call to joy. And when you think about the early church that this was being initially written to, they faced things we have not faced. They were scattered, persecuted. Persecuted. Martyred. Joy. 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 Well, the next one is pray without ceasing. May it never be so. May it never be echoed in the walls of this church or in our park or in our, that, well, I guess all we can do Pray. Now, I know I've said that, but what I'm saying is, I don't want that attitude to be that that we do everything else and then we pray. (laughs) No. Prayer is not trying to coerce God to do what we want Him to do, prayer is aligning ourselves with His will, right? May your will be done in this difficulty. Just as it's being done in heaven today. That's what I want. And I want to learn what you have for me through this experience. We need to not ask so often why of God, but what are you trying to teach me? That's the question we need to be asking. That's the question we need to help one another with in times of difficulty. Well, the last one. I'll conclude with this. In everything, verse 18, give thanks. (laughs) And then he added, it's just an important statement. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. How many times have you and I prayed to know the will of God? I hope we do. But in times of difficulty, what is God's will? What is God's will? that we give thanks. Now, perhaps there's a difference in giving thanks for the difficulty and giving thanks in the midst of the difficulty. You perhaps have heard testimonies, and I'll share this a bit. You Sunday school teachers, forgive me. Corey ten Boom. You all are familiar with the story of Corey ten Boom, the Jewish lady and her sister that were in, non-concentration camp. Her sister Betsy actually died in the camp. But she kept a diary. And she wrote later how that one of the things they had to wrestle with were the fleas. The fleas were terrible in the barracks. And they were so bad that the German officers, guards, would not come in the barracks unless they had to because of the fleas. But they gave thanks for the fleas. Because, because of the fleas, they had opportunity to worship. They had one Bible they had smuggled, they were able to share together. Undetected by the guards. Because of the fleas. Now I'm not saying that everything happens to you this next week. Or it's happened, you're gonna be able to look and see that so you can be thankful for the flat tire, thankful for the accident, thankful for the broken arm. But in every circumstance, that that God has allowed that. For purpose. Even when it's haymaking time, Steve. And maybe what we're to learn from that is not not crystal clear that day. But we look back later like we have this morning. And what does it do to our faith? See, following Christ is not, it is individual transaction with God. But church is not man's idea. This is not a Ruritan club, Okay. Church is God's idea. So, in conclusion, how do we apply this? We looked at truth this morning. How do we apply it? We make Christ number one priority because the church, he's the head of it. Not your pastor, not your Sunday school teacher, Number one priority is head of the church because you are part of his body. Number one priority, not a certain denomination, not a certain church, not a certain leader. Number one priority is Christ. And you seek to follow him, first of all. Second, we we prioritize, we, we apply this Is we make our family relationship, whatever family of believers you're relating to, you make that relationship a priority. Energy, time, effort, relationships. It's not, oh yeah, I got some friends that we can get together for church every day. No, 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 no. You make, wherever you're gonna relate, you make that a priority. One of the things this generation is real disturbing is that young adults are walking away from the church in large numbers. But the latest statistics I saw showed that only 11% of those that leave the church, only 11% are from families where church was a priority. What does that say? Now, sometimes young people walk away from even being raised in a church family. And we have to remember as parents, when our children reach adulthood, they become responsible for the choices they make. So I'm not leaving a guilt trip on anyone. What I'm trying to share with us is how important it is in our families that this family is a priority. It's a priority. If you and I will seek to apply 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 18, and make it a priority, your relationship to the church that you relate to will grow to be more meaningful in 2023 than it has ever been. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice that we have been counted worthy to be part of your body. As the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. And this morning we declare that he is our head. Help us to understand the responsibilities and obligations we have to one another. And to the church, the body of Christ. The church is your priority in the world. May it thus be ours. In Christ's name we pray.